if the other party seems consistently to be fueled by having difficult conversations, Mm -hmm. if that kind of makes that person's day to have conflict and stir up drama and, you know, if that person somehow has a lot of win-loss difficult conversations in their life, that may be a tip-off and that may be where Again, radical acceptance comes in because it's unlikely that you're going to change anybody by yourself. Another day, another task, think fast with a whole nother mission complete. Successful-ish. Pick up the weight, press on, and act on the visions to see. I'm successful-ish. Sit back and bask in the glory of all the goals I achieved. Successful-ish. Lose a stack, get it back, reinvest, hope, wait, then I roll up my sleeve. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Successful-ish. I'm Sarah Michelle, and I'm so excited to have what I hope will be an easy and fun conversation about difficult conversations with my good friend, Deborah Vogue. I met Deborah a couple years back through a women's business group, and we collaborated on her website. And what I loved about her was the conversational style. I was not used to having clients want to collaborate in their copy And I got so excited going back and forth talking about what words to use. It was like this high energy courtroom banter of just wordsmithing. And I feel like I finally found someone who shares my love for finding the right words and the right communication and gets like, we got kind of giddy on it. And it was awesome. I felt that way too. (laughs) So much fun. I'm so excited to have her on the podcast today to talk about how to win-win any difficult conversation because- We all have difficult conversations. Uh, Many of us try to avoid those difficult conversations. Many of us dive in and then deal with the fallout or anxiety afterwards. So I'm so excited to address this topic. And Deborah Vogue is a crisis navigation partner with 30 plus years of experience as a leadership researcher, executive and advisor. Her career path has included things like conducting research at Harvard Business School. She's advised tech startups on people strategy and directing admissions and career development for the MIT dual degree MBA program. She um, and the leaders for global operations. She has earned a BA in psychology and American studies from Wellesley College and an MBA from the MIT Sloan School of Management. She's also a trained mediator and ombudsman I had no idea what that word meant. I think it is so fun to say. Um, And it's essentially a neutral and professional problem solving on a grander scale. So Deborah is trained not only in managing one-to-one difficult conversations, but also collecting data and strategy for larger corporate conversations. She's also a mom of teenagers, a business owner, a New Englander, and just an all-around lovely person. So Deborah, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Thank you for having me. What a lovely introduction. So after I have rattled off your list of spectacular accomplishments, uh, let's kick off the conversation with what is something that you failed at this week? What's something you're figuring out? Oh my gosh. How much time do you have, Sarah? So um, the thing that comes to mind first is that my kids and I just had our first experience fostering a rescue dog. And we had her for 29 days, and then she went to her forever home on Sunday, which was wonderful. And so then 
my daughter, who's a junior in high school, and I had made a deal that we were going to take a break for a couple of weeks until we do this again. It was really sad saying goodbye to the dog, even though we know she's going to a great home and we miss her. So the deal was two weeks. And then yesterday, the day after the dog, my daughter said, look, there's this dog that needs a home right away. Can we do it? Please, we should do it right away. And I looked at the dog and I read the description and it was like, oh my gosh, we should. So I have probably, we'll find out tomorrow. We'll see what the rescue says, but I have probably failed at sticking to my boundary <laughs> of saying, let's take two weeks off. But I did it all for love. I can't fault you for that. That's how I ended up with two dogs. I hadn't unsubscribed from the mailing list quickly enough and I had already chosen a dog. And then I saw this other dog and I had to have her. And um, my partner at the time took the liberty of unsubscribing for me because (laughs) after that, (laughs) they knew their future. uh, And um, the last, the first place that I rented a few years ago, my roommate also had two dogs. So we had four dogs running around and I wow. constantly, both of us, it was so bad. Both of us wanted to adopt more dogs. And I mean, we were already, that house was 90% dog. And <laughs> did that lead to difficult conversations between you and your roommate? It did because we had our itches at different times and they would want to adopt a dog. And I would say, no, absolutely not. I am not momming another pet. And then I would want to adopt a dog. And he would say, no, absolutely. I'm not dadding another pet. Uh-huh. Um, so it was kind of fun. We both just shared that itch for, you know what, someday, like yeah. someday I'm going to have all the dogs. It's so hard to say no. Yeah. Thanks for understanding. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about your story and what has made you, you, how you got into a line of work of professionally having difficult conversations. I have most of us run away from confrontation. So how did you become who you are today? Great question. What has made me, me? So it's my belief that every person in the universe is brilliant and his or her own unique ways. And all the good, enjoyable experiences we've all had contributes to our brilliance. And all the tough, miserable, painful experiences we have also contributes to our brilliance. So how did I get to be working on professional communications now? I think in part, it's because I grew up in a family that does not like to talk about feelings. And I'm a person who has feelings and it was hard being that way. And so I had to learn over time to find this middle ground where I could have enough conversation that I could satisfy my need to be acknowledged and heard without having me so much conversation that my family members uh, really, really struggled most of the time. So I think it all started there, but I have always been really passionate about education and personal and professional development. And somehow I became, even as a teenager, before I knew what a coach was, I was living that role where people would come to me and I was like Lucy, but I didn't require a nickel, you know, and (laughs) peanuts. And people would say, I had this going on. What should I do? And so I've just been like this advisor type 
my whole life. And over time, I realized there was a theme to what I was advising people on. And it was really all about communication. So I just got more and more into it over time. And thanks to some crises I've experienced in life, I had to practice my skills even more. Um, and thanks to some training that really fascinated me that I followed my curiosity to get, I learned even more. So I've just basically been following my curiosity my whole life and trying to be uh, somewhat you know, functional as a human being. <laughs> so those two things have gotten me to here. I love that. Following your curiosity. I am going to borrow that phrase. Um, how would you define a difficult conversation? What makes a conversation difficult? So different people might define it differently, but I will tell you how I define it for the purposes of this conversation. And I also teach a course about it. And this is how I define it in the course. So in my mind, there's three different kinds of difficult conversations. There's the kind where you have to gather information in order to make a decision, but it's uncomfortable for some reason. The kind where you have to give information in order for something to happen. And that's uncomfortable for some situation, some reason. And then there's a third kind where you have to negotiate to get what you want or need, either in some sort of professional or personal setting. And so the things that might make these, all these three types kind of uncomfortable is what makes it difficult. So sometimes the parties involved have really different opinions of what's going on or of they're, they have different values or they have different wants or they have different needs. Sometimes they're difficult because emotions are running really high. People are volatile or because people are really afraid that depending on how the conversation goes, it will mean something about who they are. So there's a concern. I don't want to have this conversation because if it doesn't go well, then I won't be the adjective, adjective person that I thought that I was, or I won't be as important to the other person or something. Anything that where the conversation feels high stakes or heavy, like burdensome, or where you don't really have a solution going into it in mind, or then this is a big one, if there's a perceived or actual Differential in power between the two parties that can make it difficult to all different things that cause you to be uncomfortable. I can think of specific examples for all of those. I think for me, especially the power dynamic is really difficult. I think that especially as a child, when you're trying to have conversations with a parent there's this really weird, not just a power dynamic, but also this idea of, you know, your parents older than you. So obviously they're right about everything. And so it's almost, it compounds this fear, I think, of addressing something to someone in authority. And it's interesting because um, there's a lot of instances in my life, especially as a business owner, I have no problem having very candid conversations and being very confrontational. I have no problem. Um, even in my early twenties, it was sort of the joke at the ad agency I worked at all the problem clients got sent to me because <laughs> I had taken a training in peer counseling. Uh -huh. 
best thing I ever did uh, was learn how to peer counsel, but I would get all the problem clients because I was the only one who could diffuse those situations. Mm -hmm. I have no problem, but put me in a conversation with a boss, a landlord, someone who's in an authority role or perceived authority in my life, or someone that I have to see every Mm -hmm. day and don't have the choice of running away from. Mm -hmm. And I immediately revert back to that scared little kid who just can't find the words. So how do you think that we can navigate that as adults? How do we approach going into a difficult conversation? My philosophy on that is that you can have a conversation that's a win-win difficult conversation or a win-lose difficult conversation. And if you go into it with the mindset of wanting to create something win-win, often that makes it a little less scary because you realize that it could be positive for both parties involved, even if one is a person in authority or, you know, holds a lot of power. So to me, a win-loss difficult conversation is one that weakens or destroys a relationship and it keeps future dialogue from happening. Any difficult conversation that ends in, that's it, I'm never talking to that person again. That was a win-loss difficult conversation. Um, A win-win difficult conversation doesn't mean that each party gets everything they ever hoped for in the world, but it preserves and strengthens and builds on the relationship. And so it encourages future dialogue. So if anything happens, transpires in that conversation, if you, even if you don't come to an agreement that's perfect to both parties, but both parties can feel better about it than they did before they had the conversation, that's a win-win. And I think when you define success that way, it becomes less intimidating. And I have a whole like lot of thoughts on how do you have a win-win difficult conversation, but that's the philosophy I have. Yeah. I love that phrasing, having a win-win conversation. I know one thing that stuck with me about my training and learning how to have these conversations was to really pay attention to the pronouns that are used. I think a lot of times what makes something more personal is when it's me against you rather than us against a problem. Yes. I would vacillate on either side. You know, you're mad at someone and say, you always do this or you're doing that. And it, it puts the other person in defensive mode instead of rephrasing and saying, Hey, this is the objective neutral problem at hand. How can we work on this together? Or on the other end of things, if I was afraid of authority and I would take it all on me, that almost solidified in the other person's mind that it was all my problem, that it was all my fault even though I was kind of addressing something they were doing, how do you, how would you advise that we go about navigating going into a conversation and addressing the way that we're phrasing those statements? How do we have a conversation that is about solving the problem and not about attacking the person who maybe we do perceive as creating the problem? Good question. So I think the first step is to recognize the big goal, which is to make it a win-win conversation, that you want both parties to come out feeling as good or better about the relationship that when you started, as opposed to starting with a goal of something so much more positional or 
bigger or more, you know, technical, tactical being, you know, really attached to the outcome. Like I want to walk away from this meeting with seven whatevers. It's got to be seven whatevers. Um, so being more open-minded going into it about what success means for you. So I'm all about success What in any context. It depends on your individual definition. So taking the time to think about what it is beyond, you know, you maybe you're going to use my win-win idea, but then what else is in there? Um, in a win-win difficult conversation, you stay authentic and you also help the other person feel safe sharing with you and you create conditions where you feel safe. I also talk a lot about asking as many questions as you make statements in that conversation, if not more. I really like your tip about pronouns, having it be us against the problem, as opposed to me versus you. And sometimes really simple language shifts like, I'm having a hard time with the way this is going between us. I know that you're really good at blah, 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 blah. And I'm learning that doesn't work so as well for me. So what I've learned about myself is if it's possible that we could do it this way, that would be an improvement for me. You know, so as opposed to you suck, you're bad at blah, blah, blah. And let me just teach you how to be good at it and being one down in the conversation as opposed to peer to peer. Because you're, regardless of what the situation is organizationally, you are peer to peer, human being to human being, heart to heart. Right. So I want to touch on something that you talked about, which was creating a safe situation or creating a safe environment to have that conversation. And one thing that I have learned is that sometimes it's not so much a difficult conversation as it is a difficult person. And <laughs> yeah. sometimes there are just difficult people and it doesn't matter what conversation you're having, it's going to turn into something. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times there are people with very toxic, unhealthy traits or people with abusive behaviors, personality so, disorders. Yep. There's narcissism, like all kinds of different dynamics. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, if we're, if we are having a conversation with someone who would be considered a safe person, mm -hmm. right? Someone who is healthy, they want the overall good, um, you can really have any difficult conversation and that person will be willing to find the words to sift through and broker peace, however long that takes. I think a lot of times the reason that, at least me personally, and why many of us shy away from those conversations is because we have had a difficult person in our lives and it doesn't ding, ding, matter ding. Yeah. what conversation it is. It's uncomfortable. It puts you in an unsafe situation. It blows something up. And so we learn to just kind of walk on eggshells or to ignore that person. So how do we differentiate a difficult conversation from a toxic conversation? And how do we know when to engage and when to walk away? Great, great question. The word that comes to my mind in response to this is the word shame. Mm. If you consistently have conversations with this person that lead to you feeling 
shamed, then there's probably an element of toxicity. If you feel shame, but not shamed with a D at the end, that might be leftover stuff from your past experiences with difficult people and something that you can work through or, you know, we can coach you through. But I feel like if you have that feeling of shame coming up, you really have to look at, is this other person really causing this? Or is this my leftover junk that I need to work on? And if it's the other person deliberately trying to shame you, that's a tip off that there's something toxic going on there. What do you think about that? I would agree with that. I think for me, one of my telling points has been when I feel like it's a circular conversation, Mm -hmm. I feel like difficult conversations with someone who is a healthy person, you are moving forward you start to see some of the progress. I feel like at the point that you are just repeating yourself over and over or at the point where you're upset, they're upset, but you can't pinpoint why. Mm. You just know that you're both upset and you can't actually tag team. That's a good indication that there is some gaslighting going on or some manipulation or some other toxic conversation traits that are crazy making. So if you feel like you're going crazy, that might be a time to say, you know, I really want to resolve this conversation, but I think we both need to take a step back right now. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, it's been really important to learn the dynamics of conversation. And um, besides doing peer counseling and learning how to rephrase and use reflective listening and question asking and those things, for me, studying and researching emotional and psychological abuse was really helpful because you start to recognize those really sneaky aspects of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And learning how to recognize that made me much better able at cutting off the conversation sooner than later, Mm -hmm. because you recognize the signs earlier on and you recognize, okay, this isn't actually going anywhere. And um, one other thing that was really helpful for me I remember having some really difficult conversations uh, when I was going through my divorce and difficult conversations with my ex, with my family, with the church that I was kind of in the middle of thinking about walking away from. And one of the counselors that I was talking to at the time gave me this book that I think was called How to Have Difficult Conversations. It was one of those like really nerdy. Yep. And Um, I remember they showed me this chapter and it was an example of, I think the example was that you wanted to go on Christmas vacation with your spouse and you had to tell your parents that you weren't coming home for Christmas and your parents were really heartbroken and they were really upset and they kept bringing up all these other things. And you were just supposed to keep saying, I hear you. And that must be really difficult. And I would love to talk about that at another time, but right now I'm calling to tell you this. Mm-hmm. And then they say, well, what about when you were five or, you know, whatever unrelated thing. And you would say, I hear you. And I would love to talk about that with you at another time. But right now I want to talk about this. And That's you just so keep doing that until they lose interest. And I remember reading that at the time and thinking, who has conversations like these? This is so cheesy. <laughs> And not a day or two later, I had to have a difficult conversation and I found myself in that place of, well, what about when you were 12? Well, what about, you know, this happened when you were nine? And I found myself using that phrase of, I understand 
I'm sure that was really difficult. I would love to talk about that another time, but right now I want to talk about this. And it took probably about six or seven times, but eventually it ended the conversation. It avoided the conversation. And for me, that was such a helpful tool that I keep in my back pocket of when you're having a difficult conversation, I think it's really important to focus on the difficult conversation. That is not the point. That is not the time when you're trying to get through one issue to be like, well, and another thing, and to dump this pile of stuff that you've been holding on to. Let's for- analyze our whole relationship now. Yeah, like, let me just lift this rug and let's evaluate 40 years right now. Um, great tool. Yeah, that book came out of the Harvard Law School negotiation project. And um, yeah, that's a great book. I haven't read it for a long time. So I forgot about that. That is such a good strategy. Sometimes I talk about this in my class. Sometimes you need something to repeat over and over again to help you get through. Not necessarily out loud. Sometimes it's even an affirmation for yourself. And um, that can be helpful too. But I agree, you want to keep it focused on the original topic and not have allow scope creep where a conversation about I'm not coming home for the holidays turns into, I was a bad two-year-old. Yeah, I I know what you're saying. (laughs) And sometimes, like you mentioned with those conversations, I think sometimes we can come from such opposite and we're just not able to get to a place of understanding. So how do you advise on on discerning, how do we discern when there's something that's eating at us, something that's bugging at us? When does, should it click in our heads of, you know what, I need to have this conversation. And when should it click in our heads to say, you know what, I need to let this go. Not worth having the conversation. How do you advise that we discern between that, those two options? That is such a good question too. Hold on. I'm just writing this down. Um, So how do you decide when to persist and try to have the conversation and when to just kind of give up and say, you know what, this is not worth it. So I think pretty much any conversation you need to have with a toxic person is likely to be not worth it. but I mean, sometimes you just need to convey some information, like the story that you're telling the example from the Difficult Conversations book. You just, I, I just need you to know that I will not be there for Christmas Eve. And so sometimes you want to use another method of communication if it's something that is going to be with person where the whole dynamic is likely to go toxic, you might want to choose another way to convey the information other than live voice-to-voice conversation. I think it's smart to think about, does the other party have, do that, does the other party and I, do we both have the capacity to have a win-win difficult conversation? or not. If we don't, if I don't believe that we both have the capacity, that may be right there, the indicator that it's not worth it, which would work fine in the example of, I need to tell you something. But in the the other two content types, 
I need to find something out from you or I need to negotiate with you, then that's not so easy to avoid. So in those cases, I would say it's especially important to have some affirmations in mind to keep inside your head and to have some phrases like the one you were just talking about that you can use interactively and try to keep the conversation as on point and brief as possible if you feel that you absolutely must have the conversation. Yeah, I think we can sometimes vacillate between the two extremes of, you know, sometimes we're so afraid of having difficult conversation that we just hold on to everything. And that festers that, you know, when we're holding on to little annoyances, that's a huge problem in relationships of any kind where just all these little things bug us, but you know, it's not a big deal. We don't want to nitpick. We don't want to criticize. We don't want to nag, but it builds over time. And then that anger comes out in weird ways. Mm -hmm. It just sneaks out in passive aggressive comments or in little sneaky rage, as I like to call it. And so I think that's an extreme that's not super healthy when we're holding it all inside. Um, I've also seen people who have come into a newfound confidence with confrontation, and then they just want to confront everyone. (laughs) They're yelling at the barista because the coffee is too hot. And they're talking to this person who, you know, was parked wrong in the parking (laughs) lot. And let's uh, discuss it. (laughs) That's an extreme as well. Um, a few things that I found were really helpful for me. One was when there are frustrations, but it's not worth having the conversation. Um, I personally like to get it out physically. So batting cages, um, martial arts, kickboxing, um, Sometimes if you have a pound class in your neighborhood, um, it's basically they hand you a couple drumsticks and they crank up the music and you just get to beat the shit out of the floor for an hour while you're working out. I never heard of that. That sounds great. That's called pound class? Called pound. It came from um, these three drummer chicks who were doing a concert and the plane got there late. And so it didn't deliver their drums for the concert, but they had the sticks. So they did the whole show on the floor. And the next day... They were like, man, our glutes and our thighs, like everything is killing. That was such a killer workout. And so they packaged it into a workout and it is the best, most cathartic. I mean, you can yell anything you want. No one can hear you over the music and you just get to drum on the floor while you're toning your butt. It is the best. Um, Wow. I got to look that up. That is so good. I purchased something special for this purpose, a foam bat that I have hit my mattress with repeatedly when there was nobody else around to get that rage out physically. I think that's such a healthy concept. It took me a lot of therapy to get to the point that I felt safe even doing that because anger was so scary to me because I was used to just having to keep my anger stuffed down. So I didn't get shamed for even having a feeling like anger. Yeah. It's town class. Yeah, it's the best. I think anger is one of those emotions. It's like we're not really allowed to feel yeah, because we don't have a good understanding of what anger is. Um, We think of anger as rage or of, you know, inappropriate screaming or yelling and dangerous. I don't want to be that person, but there are a lot of angry people who don't scream or do things, but that anger goes somewhere. Anger is a real emotion that needs to be addressed just like anything else in our lives. And if we're not getting it 
out, it's -hmm. getting trapped inside and it's going to come out in really weird places. And it is really unhealthy ones. Yeah. Especially if you grew up, um, you know, in a, in earlier generation where especially, you know, children are to be seen, not heard. So anger for sure. Wasn't an emotion. Um, I grew up in a very religious setting. And so, you know, you're not supposed to be angry because that's, I don't know, somehow dishonoring to, if I'm angry, that means I don't have God's love and peace. And then I have all kinds of other issues and, um, it internalizes, which actually becomes a lot more unhealthy. So I think that's really important to be able to get things out in a safe way. And if it's not safe and productive to have a conversation and work through something with someone, I think it's important to evaluate if, we have the capability of navigating away from that relationship, or if we have the capability to express ourselves in some other way. And the other thing that was helpful for me with some of the difficult conversations, um, particularly in work settings, I had a very difficult boss when I first started off and I learned to put everything in writing. Mm -hmm. So we would have conversations. And even though it seemed a little silly after every conversation, I would send her an email I would CC at least a couple people on it. And I would say, so great chatting today based on our conversation. This is how I'm going to move forward. And that way, whenever, you know, people changed their minds or were upset about something a month later, they couldn't gaslight. I could point to the email and say, oh, you know, I have in writing. That this That's is a really good strategy about. for the workplace. Yep. And also if you're going through some ongoing kind of dispute resolution, like trying to get a divorce or something like that. I did the same thing when I went through my divorce, I got to a point where it was so unhealthy that that was one of my personal boundaries that he was not allowed to speak to me unless a third party was present or it was in writing. And that was game changing that put an end to a lot, if not all of the toxicity and the abusive conversations, because now there's a witness. Mm. And I think that that aspect is really important. There's accountability. There's someone else who is now seeing what's happening in a conversation. And from a professional setting, it's just making sure that you're aligned. Sometimes we have a conversation and we walk away and I have one understanding of what was said and you have an understanding of what was said and they're not matched. And so sometimes being able to have something in writing and just ask clarifying questions and repeating back and saying, what I'm hearing you say is this, is that accurate? Mm -hmm. Sometimes that person needs to be able to hear that and think, oh no, that's not what I meant. That's not what I said. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we need to hear ourselves. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I think that we just use our words and we're not really listening to what's coming out. And so I think reflective listening is especially important with that. Yeah, I think that's another, um, just hearing you say that reminded me, another indicator that it may be better for you not to have the conversation at all is if you're talking to a person who is not either willing or able to listen. Sometimes people are so angry. They're so full up with fury and they haven't gotten it out of their system by going to pound class or pounding with the bat on their mattress. And they just can't take anything more in. Yeah. And in that circumstance, if, if that's ever you, <laughs> um, another thing that helps in addition to beating on the floor or the mattress is 
practicing radical acceptance, Hmm. knowing that the situation is just not going to change for the time being because people will hold on to anger or hurt sometimes way past the point that it serves them well. And I, and then, like you said, it comes out in ways that again, does not serve them well and it leaks. You got to find a way to deal with your feelings in a healthy manner. And like you said, it's not always by having the conversation straightforward with the other party that you have the feelings towards. One thing that I've learned has been really helpful for me. And this is something that growing up, I, I grew up in a home that made fun of anything that was sort of hippie or woo woo. And so I just thought all this stuff was made up silliness, but I have learned a lot, particularly being a business owner, about the importance of protecting my energy and the importance of kind of having an energy bubble because there are some people who want to have difficult conversations all the time and it just takes all your energy. And I think that it's really important going into a difficult conversation. I need to be energized correctly. I'm going to be a much better person having those conversations if I'm coming in in the right headspace versus if someone catches me on a day where I'm exhausted or I'm PMSing or, you know, I've just had a really bad day. I'm really overwhelmed. I'm not in the right frame of mind to be able to have that conversation. And I think especially being in the industry that I'm in where um, I'm in branding, I'm very empathetic. I'm That's my job is to... Mm-hmm feel people and to really understand not just who they are, but feel who they are and feel their emotions. And that can be really overwhelming as well, because even if something isn't said, you know, you can walk in a room and you can feel the energy. If there's a difficult conversation, if you walk in a room and you know that that husband and wife have just been fighting, or there's just been a, um, you know, a difficult conversation between colleagues, you can feel that. So I think that that is a really important thing to be able to protect our energy. Um, a couple of things that have helped me through that. One is drinking a lot of water. Mm. Um, hydration actually keeps all of that moving. And then uh, Epsom salt. If you take an Epsom soak, that helps mm-hmm. get everything out. Um, doing yoga, doing meditation, running, cardio, all those good things. How do you advise that we manage some of those emotions? Because with any difficult conversation, there's varying degrees of anxiety, of fear, of stress. I think sometimes it's going in, we feel an anxiety, sometimes coming out of a difficult conversation. Um, If I have to, um, you know, I, I was just sharing with someone, I stayed at an Airbnb and it was not quite what I expected. Oh, no. have a difficult conversation with the host when she asked about the stay. And I had to let her know, Hey, like, just so you know, (laughs) there's these cleanliness issues and, you know, there's these things in the listing that weren't accurate. And even though I was nice about it and she was receptive to it, I still felt queasy the whole way out having to have a difficult conversation. So how do we manage that? How do we get to a place where we feel peace? in having these conversations. Said so much good stuff. <laughs> I have like a couple of thoughts. Okay, one, just going back for a minute and then I'll come back to this. 
Another potential risk of carrying around anger and not getting it out of your body or out of your system is depression because depression mm-hmm. is anger turned inward. So more reasons to get this, these feelings out one way or the other. Um, I just wanted to add that to our list before. And then something else you just said reminded me of another way you, another indicator that this may be a toxic relationship and therefore you may not want to have the difficult conversation at all. If the other party seems consistently to be fueled by having difficult conversations, Mm -hmm. if that kind of makes that person's day to have conflict and stir up drama and, you know, if that person somehow has a lot of win-loss difficult conversations in their life, that may be a tip off. And that may be where, again, radical acceptance comes in because it's unlikely that you're going to change anybody by yourself. Okay. So thank you for listening to those things back to earlier points. And the question of how can we help ourselves manage our own energy is such a good one too. So the first word that came to mind when you asked the question came to my mind is gentleness. Being extra gentle with ourselves. I don't know about you, because I don't think I've ever asked you about this before in other conversations, but if I had to guess, tell me if I'm right or wrong, I would guess that you and I share this trait, given some things we've shared about how we've grown up, of being really hard on ourselves. Am I right or wrong there? Oh, yeah. Hard on yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So the For me, the concept of being gentle with myself is news. Like I have to remind myself, I have to put up little signs sometimes for myself because I can so naturally be hard on myself, blame myself, be decide that what I did wasn't good enough because it wasn't perfect. When really I want to be successful-ish, like you talk about not perfect. Um, So that's again, where the gentleness comes in and where we can look at, okay, here's a way I failed this week. Like we talked about at the beginning of the conversation. And now that's allowed because I'm a human being. So I'm not going to be perfect. What are some ways I can be gentle with myself today? Oh, I could have a nice cup of tea and that's soothing. Oh, I could let myself get into bed a half an hour earlier with a good book and not talk to so-and-so about such and such so that I really don't feel like it and I'm drained. Any ways that we can just be extra loving and caring towards ourselves, ourselves, that's how we can manage our energy. I have this whole thing. Do you know, um, do you know Nina Manelson from Sarah and I are in a women's group together. Do you know her from that? She has this, She's a good friend of mine. She has this postcard that I keep on my desk. It says, I highly recommend her, ninamandelson.com. But um, the card says, what would nourish me right now? And it's a whole list of things. And I use this card to remind myself to be gentle with myself. So nourish equals gentleness. So some of her examples are to breathe deeply, to give myself the space to feel, to meditate, to dance, to rage, a hug, sleep, 
to sing, to walk, to journal, to say no, to say yes, to play with kids, to set boundaries. It goes on and on. Those are some more examples of ways you can be gentle with yourself. And I need to keep that near my desk. We're tough days. And I think that's actually a really good reminder that sometimes we need to have difficult conversations with ourselves. Yes. It's not just about having confrontation with others, but I think sometimes we need to confront ourselves and we need to have a check-in conversation and say, what's really going on? Or if we find ourselves in a situation with someone that just loves difficult conversations and sometimes we can be invested in a relationship because we're, we're committed or we're loyal to the concept of it or we feel like we have to put up with something and to be able to have those difficult conversations and say, am I content in this relationship? Is this a healthy relationship? Am I healthy? Am I taking care of myself? Am I presenting, you know, the best self that I can? Um, And also to realize one thing for me was realizing the way that other people were talking to me in conversations. Is that any way that I would talk to someone else because if I wouldn't allow myself to talk to someone else like that, why would I allow someone to talk to me like that? And I had to have a very difficult conversation with myself about why do I allow this? And one quote that I I hate, but I love is that people will treat you the way that you allow them to. Yes. And I think I've mentioned on this podcast before the first time that I heard that I was so mad at the person who said that, because I just was like, I've never in my life told someone, I wish that you would treat me like crap. I wish that you would talk disrespectfully to me. Um, and it is a difficult thing when you see it happening with other people, because I think it's one of those things you just have to realize on your own. I think it's so important to have a difficult conversation with ourselves and to be able to say, what is my bar set at? What is the standard that I've allowed for myself? How are people talking to me? And am I okay with that? Is that how I would talk to someone else? Are these conversations helpful, productive? Are the people that I'm having conversations with rooting for my success? Are the confrontations helping or hurting? And I think that there is a big difference between having a confrontation with the goal of success and having a criticism or a confrontation with the goal of just expressing anger. I think if there's no, if there's no goal in mind, if there's no objective to the conversation and you're just having it to have it, that's never going to be a successful conversation. Kara, I want to take your difficult conversation course. You've said so much great stuff. I could talk to you about this stuff all day. You've just sparked all these thoughts for me. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Can you tell we've both had some difficult conversations in our day? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So why do you think it's important to have these conversations? Why, Why dive into any of them? Why not just take the passive route of peace? I know you can't see my air quotes if you're listening, but why is it important to have difficult conversations? Well, I'm going to give you an answer that's why it's important for me to have difficult conversations. And then let's think out loud because I'm an extrovert to see if we think this is generalizable. So for me, what came to mind is I really like to operate in the spirit of continuous improvement. Mm -hmm. 
So not to be perfectionist, but to be getting better over time. And if I don't have, if I don't take the opportunities to have the potentially scary or difficult, but also potentially healthy, win-win difficult conversations, then I'm not going to be strengthening my relationships. And I want to make them, I want to do my part to make them better and better over time. I want like every year of my life to be better than it was the year before because I've grown and also I've been willing to be vulnerable so that other people can grow too. Yeah. Absolutely. I think there's so much joy to be had in difficult conversations and there's really no way to avoid them, whether it's passing on difficult news that we need to share or whether it's asking for a raise or a promotion or um, addressing a point of conflict or, you know, whatever it might be, we're always going to have difficult conversations. So I think no matter what, it serves us to be able to to have some basic skills in our tool belt to be able to pull out and navigate whatever these conversations might be that are going to continually come up in our lives. I agree. It definitely serves us to have these tools. I disagree that there is no way to avoid all difficult conversations. I think some people who are conflict avoidant can and do really try to avoid all the difficult conversations, but the consequences of that are so high that I think it's not worth it. If you really think about what am I losing out on or how am I making myself suffer by not having the courage to have this difficult conversation, you might realize that the the costs are way higher to just keep it to yourself. Depending I would, on the circumstance. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think for me, the way that I see it is that the conversation is unavoidable and it's either going to come out externally or it's going to harbor internally. So we can either address the conversation and talk to the other person, or we can do the thing that we tend to do when we get a little passive aggressive and have the conversation in our heads. Mm. Oh my God. I can't believe she would do that. Like, what is she thinking? Like, that's so annoying that she would do that. And I think the danger of that is that firstly, the other person has no idea they're going on with their day and life happy as a clam. And we're the ones driving ourselves crazy, having this conversation. Um, and I think that sometimes makes the narrative grow too. Um, I see that a lot, like in roommate relationships or couple relationships when you're living with someone or when you're working with someone and you're seeing them all the time and it starts off as this one tiny thing, but then you don't address it. And then the next day it's another tiny thing and you don't address it. And then before you know it, you've created this entire villain in your head Mm -hmm. of this poor other person who probably has no idea that they're Mm -hmm. bothering you or that they've done anything. And if you do that you're missing out on the potential of making things better and having, as you said, the joy of having a healthy, loving or respectful relationship, depending on the context, if it's, you know, personal or professional. Yeah. And I think the other part of that is that we, we sometimes I think um, are conflict averse because we want peace. 
Mm. And one thing I've learned is that there is a big difference between being a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. And I think when we try to be a peacekeeper and we try to keep the peace, that's what happens when we're pushing stuff under the rug and it all just kind of burbles. We're just kind of Mm. maintaining this burbly conflict under the surface. And at some point, it's going to start out now in weird places Yes. versus being a peacemaker. There's an active role in making peace. And it's not that we want to be in conflict. It's not that we enjoy confrontation. It's that, you know what? I love and respect you so much. I want peace in our relationship. And the way for us to do that is to make some peace. So let's have this moment of uncomfortable conversation so that we can have a lifetime of enjoyable friendship or relationship or marriage or workship, whatever it is, I think there's a huge difference. And I think if we can push past that, that minor discomfort, we will actually save ourselves from a lot more discomfort if we were to just sit on something. Yes. Yes. So thinking about what are the possible wins here, as well as what are the potential losses here and really look at do the benefits outweigh the gains uh, do the benefits outweigh the the gains what is that expression <laughs> do the benefits outweigh the drawbacks yep yeah so if someone is sitting on a difficult conversation that they don't really want to have what is one thing that they can do right now to be a little bit more successful in navigating these conversations what's the first place they should start hmm I think I would start by writing out the conversation that you want to have. And you can even imagine what you think the other person is going to say and then what you would say back. I find journaling to be such a powerful tool. And if it's too scary or uncomfortable or awkward to have it out loud, start by getting it out of your head and on to paper or onto your computer. Yeah, I would agree with that. That is super helpful. I'm a big fan of fake conversations. I have a lot <laughs> of conversations in my car and I'll play both sides. And it's actually a really helpful, not just for confrontation of figuring things out, um, but I do this before interviewing or before pitching a big client or before a media interview. I do the whole interview in my car. And what is amazing about this is that it almost gives you this superpower where you're actually controlling the situation because if you've practiced it and you know the points that you want to hit, you're going to look for opportunities to hit those points. And when I used to do interview coaching, that was something that we would practice with. And it was amazing how many times we would have a fake interview and they would call me the next day and be like, oh my God, they asked me everything. I got to say everything that we practiced. And it's, it's kind of a weird, I think it's one of those law of attraction things where we're just looking for it. And so sometimes when we practice something and we have a visual for it, it sets us up to look for the opportunities to have that conversation. And it gives us a little bit more, um, I don't know if control is the right word, but it just gives us a little bit more assertiveness in the conversation, a little more ownership of how we direct it. I love that preparation. It's a superpower. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Deborah, thank you so much for sharing your expertise. Um, I am always overjoyed having conversations with you and 
for anyone listening, if you struggle with difficult conversations, uh, Deborah has some really awesome courses and coaching programs to navigate with that. Um, and if you have examples or difficult conversations that you want to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. Shoot us an email at embracetheish at gmail.com or hang out with us online at successfulish.com or Facebook, Instagram at embracetheish. Success and fail, not on opposite ends. Curveball hits, gotta know where to bend. The attitude will affect destination. And if you determine when you're gonna make it, live between successes makes life rich. Live in every moment, successfulish. Live between successes makes life rich. Live in every moment, successfulish. Hey, successfulish. Another day, another task. Think fast with a whole nother mission complete. I'm successfulish. Pick up the weight, press on, and act on the visions to see. I'm successfulish. Sit back and bask in the glory of all the goals I achieve. Successfulish. Lose a stack, get it back. Reinvest hope, wait, then I roll up my sleeve. Successfulish. Another day, another task. Think fast with a whole nother mission complete. Successfulish. Pick up the weight, press on, and act on the visions to see. I'm successfulish. Sit back and bask in the glory of all the goals I achieve. Successfulish. Lose a stack, get it back. Reinvest hope, wait, then I roll up my sleeve. Hey. All this weight on my arms need both flex. And this race for behind me, most steps. Had a sort of learning curve, hope I don't crash. Hit your nerves when reserves got low cash. When I fail, realize that it won't last. You made it through in the past, just look back successfulish you can see how the contrast fails and wins use the past and the bounce back you can never win if you're never going to do it failure is a hard road rarely ever cruising embracing all my wins with a handful of losing expect the drought season when the plan's going fluent i can never really feel it's all how you view it it's all a lesson just depends how you use it get all the data and keep it all exclusive never ending journey and the growth is therapeutic my identity is not in what you see i am the better me mistakes others make i see happy teaching me compare yourself to others is an insult to tragedy we will make unique gotta use again collectively broke down my goals in a few look Toesome. Can't take them back cause you already spoke them Easily regressive, you don't stay focused Focus, live between success and moments Successfully, another day, another task Think fast with a whole nother mission complete I'm successfulish Pick up the weight, press on, and act on the visions to see I'm successfully, sit back and bask in the glory of all the goals I achieve Successfulish, lose a stack, get it back Reinvest, hope, wait, then I roll up my sleeve Successfulish, another day, another task Think fast with a whole nother mission complete Successfulish, pick up the weight, press on, and act on the visions to See, I'm successfulish. Sit back and bask in the glory of all the goals I achieve. Successfully, lose a stack, get it back, reinvest, hope, wait, then I roll up my sleeve.